there's more women and underrepresented minorities graduating from college now than at any point in time in history. And that is actually a very unique lens for those later stage companies to have a leg up on some of the earlier stage companies. Now, how do you retain those people? How do you keep those people? That's a different conversation. But I would say that as it relates to hiring adults, it comes down to your culture and being intentional about the culture that you want to build. Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Mary. I'm your host for Leveling Up. And today I have with me Nolan Church, uh, who has launched Continuum along with his team, and he's going to tell us all about that. Nolan, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, I you've been kind of doing a lot of everything for the past few years. You've been several years at Carta helping build their people team. Before that, you were at DoorDash. Uh, before that, you were at Google. So I'd love to jump into your journey in just a bit. But first, we'd love to hear how are things going over at Continuum? What are you up to? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I was on the recruiting and or people functions at Google, DoorDash, and Carta. Um, and those learnings at those companies gave me the insight to, to found Continuum. So what we are building at Continuum is the labor marketplace for executives. We connect executives to fractional and full-time roles at venture-backed startups. So it's going really well. We raised about a $3 million seed in March and have been heads down building. Our focus today is on people operations. And we have about 30 customers and 100 executives active on the marketplace. Our sweet spot is when companies begin to scale their headcount and they need help with things like people strategy, recruiting strategy, and comp philosophy. And so we're lucky enough to be helping the companies like Steady, Dutchy, and Maddie uh, enter hyper growth and scale through hyper growth without collecting a whole lot of people debt. Amazing. And so for our listeners who are listening here, um, if they wanted to work with Continuum, do they just go to your website? Where, where can they find you? Yeah, check us out on, on joincontinuum.com. Um, specifically, we, we had a ton of value to venture-backed companies that are typically around Series A through about Series D. And again, if you are scaling headcount, we are the place that you want to connect with. I have to say, so I've also grown several different startups a little bit earlier stage than this, but being on those teams, everybody wants an experienced HR executive and it's just been very difficult to find. So thank you for filling a gap. Excited to see where this goes in the coming months and years. I really appreciate that feedback. So as we jump into today's conversation, we will definitely dive into your journey. We'll make sure to get there, but we wanted to talk a little bit about trends and what we're seeing in today's wild west of return to work and you know dealing with the situation that we're all still living through. So let's just look at the last kind of 12 months, 18 months here. What have you been seeing in terms of how HR executives are approaching COVID, yep. leaving work, transitioning to remote, all of this. Let's get the lowdown. Yeah. So let's let's actually go back to uh, call it late February of 2020, uh, right as like the coronavirus is starting to pick up steam. I'm the chief people officer at Carta. I get a note from my VP of HR and she basically says, Nolan, I think this is getting serious. And I think we want to put together a task force and start you know, thinking about if this thing picks up steam, what we end up doing. Uh, and Jenny Kim is her name was all over it. Uh, 
before most companies were. I believe we actually told people to not come into the office on March 9th. And so if you think about the macro level, everyone was like, oh, what is this thing? And then it starts taking off and then everyone's playing from their back foot. The next thing that came out was like, okay, great. Like nobody come into the office. We'll, you know, we'll do the, we'll crush the curve. We'll, we'll get to zero cases and we'll all come back to the office in a couple of months. So that started happening. And I think the first trend that I started noticing was early stage startups started leveraging this opportunity to go remote first. And we are now seeing that more than ever uh, 12, 18 months later, typically with those seed series A and series B companies, they are leveraging remote first as a competitive advantage in recruiting. So going back now, 2020, you know, three months after the pandemic hits, everyone's like, okay, we'll be back by the fall, right? Like this is kind of the, the mainstream communication. And meanwhile, employees have now been remote for a few months and they are enjoying not commuting to work anymore. They are enjoying more time with their families. They're enjoying not having these disruptive conversations at work for the most part. Those are the pieces of feedback that we continue to hear. So three months, four months goes by, we're now in the fall. And then it's like, oh, well, it, you know, it'll be early 2021 when we get back. Well, we all know where that's ended up today. As, as it relates to September 7th, my wife, who is still at Google, is not back at Google. And it sounds like they're telling people that it's going to be January 5th of 2022. Here's kind of the reality. And here's what's happening now on the ground from what we hear from companies. If you are not making a firm decision on remote first, hybrid, or in-person, your employees feel anxious about that. And that is starting to cause them to look for other opportunities to where they can have stability with what they want. As I said, with early stage companies, those companies are definitely going more remote first because they want to be able to access senior talent. And they can now do that and afford that talent because they are no longer paying for office space. What I'm seeing from later stage companies is a resistance to remote first. You know, they have thousands of people, they have an in-person office culture, they have millions of dollars on the balance sheet allocated to rent that is due. And they do not want to, to throw the towel in and say, we are going remote first. And there's been a lot of talk about people attriting and having this like great attrition problem. And we are actively seeing that problem play out for later stage companies in which they are continuing to communicate. We're going to go back to the office. You know, things are going to be back to normal. And what our customers are saying is that, frankly, the, the normal of 2019 is over. And now everyone who is hiring and hiring well is doing so with a very clearly defined culture that is either remote first or hybrid. And they're helping their employees feel safe about what actually the future looks like for them and also giving those employees more options to be able to choose from working wherever in the world that you want to now. It's a lot to unpack there, and it's also valuable. I, I want to start with this idea that remote work is a recruitment strategy, as in if we're, if we're staying remote, this is going to attract quite a few incredible, whether it's senior engineers, senior product people, senior customer service. Uh, there are a lot of people who want to transition permanently to remote work environments. But then there are a lot of people who are really still looking for that in-person. How, how are you seeing companies decide whether to go fully remote or do something more hybrid as they transition here? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there are a subset of folks that want to be in person. 
Um, just in my network, it's about 80, 20, 80% prefer remote first, and then 20% prefer some option of hybrid or fully in person. What we are seeing with companies evaluating this decision, um, specifically as it relates to recruiting, is how do I operate in the environment that exists today versus how should I think about an environment in a post-COVID world to where we've, you know, we're no longer experiencing the surges uh, in the virus that we are seeing today. Frankly, it's a really hard problem to solve um, because the companies that continue to push out the return to office date are making their current employees and candidates feel very anxious given that it doesn't look like we're going back to work anytime soon. And so the companies that have adopted this remote first strategy, and really what we mean by remote first is not we never see our colleagues. It's just for the large majority of our work, we are working at home or we're working from, uh, you know, call it satellite offices or whatever it may be. But then those companies are doing really smart things like getting together every couple of months um, with the entire company for collaborative sessions, those types of things that are helping people stay connected. While the companies that are saying, hey, like we're going to be back in January, I think that those companies are going to have a really hard time continuing to recruit and to retain their current employees. And so it, it just feels like inevitable at this point in time that companies begin to offer multiple options to employees if they do want to keep an in-person culture. But I don't think remote is going away anytime soon. I don't think zeroism for COVID is going to be a thing that we see in the next couple of years. And so the people that are adopting to this new world fastest are the ones that are winning talent today. What are the obstacles that face HR leaders as they're navigating this, right? So the shift from in-office yeah. to remote, there's of course the most obvious, which is how do you manage your culture and productivity in a remote environment? What else are you seeing here? The thing that HR leaders tell me that I don't think it's been discussed a lot is that they want to do it for the most part, but their founder does not. And we are hearing a lot of, of founders when we actually get on the phone with these folks that they want an in-person culture. And so I think that's one of the biggest struggles that HR leaders are facing right now is they're hearing from employees that, hey, why don't we just call this thing remote first or at least give me the option to work remote or work from an office. And the real reason is, is that the founder wants an in-person culture. And so that is, is one of the biggest challenges right now for HR leaders. The other big challenge is, is that is as it relates to compensation. So uh, before compensation was pretty standard of, hey, we have a San Francisco rate, and then we adjust that rate depending on what labor market you're in. So like, for example, at Carta, we had nine offices and each of those offices had a specific market rate. Well, today with people going remote, there's a lot of conversation about getting rid of that labor adjustment and paying people just at San Francisco rates. And so this is a really big challenge, especially if you already have a large number of employees and if you already have a, an established practice of adjusting labor rates. And so we continue to hear about compensation coming up time and time and time again. Um, so that's another one. And then the last one we hear is for new hire onboarding. How do we get these people acclimated to our culture? How do we train them up? How do we make them feel like they're not living on an island? How do we get them integrated with their teams? 
that is still today, you know, two years, almost two years after the, the pandemic has struck, one of the biggest challenges that HR leaders are trying to face and help the business navigate. These are the same challenges that we're hearing as well. And this challenge of compensation is one that um, about a year and a half ago, I had a few leaders on the podcast. And the, the biggest challenge they all saw in March of last year was oh gosh, how are we going to deal with compensation? And of course, none of them wanted to talk about it because it was impacting their companies right then. But we know that Google has this transition adjustment based on where you live. And we know that Facebook and other companies have this, but we also saw Reddit come out really early, really hot saying, we're going to let you live wherever you want and we're going to pay you fairly. What are some innovative solutions to the compensation problem that you're seeing? The great question. I will tell you what I'm seeing and then we'll circle back. So what I am seeing is, is that this is potentially the biggest opportunity for early stage companies to get access to senior talent that, that they otherwise never would have had access to. So for example, um, I have a lot of friends that are from the Midwest. They've been out in San Francisco building their careers in tech for the last 10 to 15 years. The pandemic struck, they wanted to be closer to family. And so they moved back for a few months. Well, a few months turned into we are now living in Michigan and we are not coming back to San Francisco. And so those folks have had really difficult conversations with their employers about their comp. Um, Some employers are taking the, hey, let's just see what happens in six to 12 months. Again, kind of this transitory period of, well, let's see what happens with the pandemic first. Um, I don't think it's going to end up good for them. Some employers are adjusting those employees' compensations drastically. So if you live in Michigan, it's probably a 30 or 40% decrease in your compensation for what you saw in San Francisco. And frankly, these employees are talented and skilled enough that they don't need to take that cut. And so that is what is spawning, I think, a part of this great resignation that we're starting to see. It's like, well, if I'm going to have to take a 30% cut to be here, then I'm just not going to stay here anymore. And I'm going to start looking for jobs. And again, this is a huge opportunity for early stage companies to pay San Francisco rates wherever an employee lives, not just in the United States, but also potentially the world. I think we're going to start to see this take a a global effect within the next couple of years as well. So um, as it relates to innovation here, some of the things that I'm seeing, so a company called Steady is a perfect example. Steady pays people at the 90th percentile of San Francisco rates, regardless of where they live across the globe. Like, you know, Zach and Alexandra are just, they're just recruiting talent hand over fist right now. They're able to get anyone they want way faster um, and way cheaper as it relates to a cost per hire standpoint because they pay people really well. They also have an amazing culture and and cultural tenants, which attract adults, um, which is another thing we can talk about. Um, But beyond that, I I mean, honestly, if you are still living in 2017, you're still doing labor adjustments, um, I think you are going to be dealing with a huge attrition problem and a huge huge recruiting problem. Let's talk about attracting adults. (laughs) Um, So this is one that I think is twofold. One, Darren Murph of GitLab was on the podcast and we're actually, that episode will come out very soon. And he was talking about how GitLab really focuses on having a manager of one and that every individual within the company really needs to be recruited with this mindset of, you know, I'm an independent thinker and I can be self-motivated and I can work remotely because I'm just, that's just how I am. And they recruit for that. Um, 
building on that or maybe a totally different direction, how do you approach recruiting individuals who are going to thrive in a remote work setting? Yep. I think this all comes back to being intentional about the culture that you are building. And so the best founders that we work with, the best HR leaders that we work with, the first thing that they do is to, to be intentional about that culture, write down their cultural principles, put them to work, get feedback from employees and continue to iterate that on those over time. What I'm seeing right now for companies where it's not going well or internally there's like turmoil or people disagreeing or not working well together, whatever it may be, is that these cultural tenants don't exist or they are so aspirational and not lived that it's, it's somewhat of a joke internally. And so as it relates to hiring adults, you hear me say this all the time because that's the philosophy that we have at Continuum. Now, the trade-off to that is, is that unfortunately, we don't go after early stage um, or sorry, early career hires. And that is a, a trade-off that we are intentionally making right now at this stage of our company. There may be a point in time in which we invest in new grad programs and training programs but right now, given that we are a seed stage company, we don't have the bandwidth to do that. And I'm seeing a lot of early stage companies make that decision. Now, the inverse is true to where this could be a huge opportunity for later stage companies. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the company, but I, I think it was Coinbase, actually, that just came out with a brand new APM program uh, targeted at new grads, which is an amazing way to attract young talent. Uh, it's an amazing way to attract diverse talent because there's more women and underrepresented minorities graduating from college now than at any point in time in history. And that is actually a very unique lens for those later stage companies to have a leg up on some of the earlier stage companies. Now, how do you retain those people? How do you keep those people? That's a different conversation. But I would say that as it relates to hiring adults, it comes down to your culture and being intentional about the culture that you want to build. I think this is a really great point, which is that idea that yes, it's your team and, and our team and some you know, early stage companies aren't hiring new grads. But like you said, this is a great opportunity for companies who are going to be in the office, actually. I, I see this yep. being a huge asset for how do we bring this next wave of talent up the ranks and get them trained up and also help them build their networks because remote work to take a, a new set of skills. Now, our listeners, there's going to be a huge portion who say, hey, listen. Young people are, and less experienced individuals are actually probably the best remote workers, right? They, they were born in digital. They were, they figured this out from day one. They, they're loving asynchronous learning in college. And there are a lot of people who are coming out of this. Do you see a world where we can start to train those early hires? Like, is there an opportunity for some company to come in here and prepare remote workers who are early in their career? I think companies are already doing this. Yeah. Lambda for engineers is, is probably the best example. You know, I remember some friends who went to, to Stanford and got a CS degree from Stanford and then they got their first jobs and were like, wow, nothing I learned in college is actually applicable in what I do every day. And you have companies like Lambda that are doing scaled learning uh, for a number of folks across a, a wide degree of backgrounds as it relates to age. And I think those are, those are people right away that we wouldn't have a problem hiring at Continuum because they actually have skills already that they can begin to apply on day one on the job. You know, I'll just give you, for me, when I came right out of school, I didn't even know what recruiting was. And so if you were going to throw me into a recruiting coordinator job at Google, I actually don't think I would have done well. 
And I don't think I needed a lot of hands-on coaching. I needed peers around me to be able to, to learn from them, to build my network with. And so frankly, if I was earlier in my career, I would absolutely be optimizing for a company that was in person and potentially even exclusively in person because that is the fastest way to ascend. Great advice. So you mentioned earlier that you would share what you're seeing in the space in terms of innovative solutions, but what are you doing and what, what do you wish more companies would be doing as they're approaching the return to work and also this decision, return to work being, hey, we're staying remote potentially, right? Yeah. Um, but this transition into the, the new normal, what do you wish you saw more companies doing to level up yeah. culture, et cetera? I think people need to commit. And I, I think we've now had 18 months worth of, hey, we're still figuring this out. Let's see what happens next. Let's see the data from next month. It's been 18 months and we continue to get not great data. And so I think people need to make a decision and commit one way or the other on which way they are going to go. Are they going to go in person? Are they going to go hybrid? Are they going to go remote first? I don't think it's really about innovation here. I mean, there's, there's definitely like more technologies that we're leaning on now to ensure that we can work well together in a remote first world. But I actually think what HR leaders need to do is to get their founders on board with committing on whatever direction they're going to go in to, to just bring stability to their current workforce and to their candidates, because people are making life-changing career decisions when they join a company. When you get recruited, like it is a life-changing moment whenever you change your company. And I continue to hear from candidates that these companies that are a little bit iffy or uncertain, um, those are the companies that are having the hardest time right now. And, and so I would just encourage HR leaders to, to have conviction one way or the other. You can always assess it at some point in time in the future. But right now, if you want to retain and recruit, you need to have conviction. You talked about onboarding earlier. And so, like you said, this is a life-changing experience. Bringing these individuals into your organization, let's stick with remote. How do you see this being most effective? Is it sending everybody a care package? Like, where does it start and where does it stop? So we're, we're, we have this problem right now at Continuum. We only have, we have eight employees, three founders, but five folks we, we did have to onboard in a remote first world. And that was the first time I'd ever done it. So what we've been doing is, I actually think it starts in pre-onboarding. So post offer accept, pre-first day, we are always trying to touch base with that person every week, at least once a week. Uh, to just check in on them, let them know we're super excited, right? make sure that they're kept warm. We have been seeing a lot of rescinds in general in the space. And a rescind is defined as somebody who accepts an offer, they sign the offer, and then they don't show up on the first day for one reason or another. And so I do think onboarding begins after the offer letter is signed. Um, so that's the first thing we're doing is focusing on that stage. The next thing that we're doing is being insanely intentional about their first two weeks of work. And we're trying to help them map it out. So like we do quite a bit of the scheduling for them as it relates to one-on-ones, as it relates to uh, the knowledge base and how to get access to that and prioritization. And so a lot of that stuff happens in the onboarding doc in which we try and send that to our new hires before their first day of employment, which also makes them feel like, oh, I, I know what's coming. I know what to expect. I don't have this huge anxiety and fear uh, walking into a remote first company as a new hire. From there, I think it's about cultural tenants. 
So one of the things we try to do is, is every week we have a company-wide all hands, and then every other week we have a company-wide social session. And that social session is usually us like playing like video games or poker or something like that, just to kind of like kick back and get to know people um, as opposed to just only talking work. And then more importantly, I think the biggest cultural tenant that we've instituted is a uh, every other month offsite. And this actually gets people together. We usually fly to a cool location. So call it Salt Lake, call it San Francisco, get together for three or four days, go to dinner every night. And these are things that we can now afford because we don't have office space, this huge overhead cost. And so I, even with remote first, I do not believe that means I never see my colleagues. I do think in-person is critical, but I do not think in-person is critical five days a week in perpetuity. And at Continuum, you're providing HR leaders who are going to go into these organizations and really support them. So let's let's switch to future of work. What are you seeing? Yeah. Because the, the future of work is going to be this hybrid remote world. And HR leaders are really setting the stage. If you run people operations, like this is part of, you know, this is going to be your future. What do they need to be thinking about? And what are you recruiting for as you find your executives that you place in other companies? Yeah. So let's talk about the macro level trend of what's happening right now with venture capital. So 2020, you know, Sequoia puts out the black swan memo, which basically caused every company to, either have a riff or drastically reduce their spending in some way, shape or form. Well, by the end of 2020, I think every company probably said, okay, maybe we overreacted and then swung the pendulum the other way. And what VCs did, which was super interesting, was they invested more in 2020 than in any other year in history on record. So 2021, we're now in September. By Q2, uh, the beginning of Q2, VCs had already invested more money into startups than they did in all of 2020. So we already broke the record and we're going to smash it. I don't think that that's going to end. And so, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means actually for companies and for employees is there are more well-funded companies than ever before. These companies typically have quite a bit of money behind them. And so they've essentially been de-risked. And so it, it's a unique opportunity for folks later in their career to go earlier stage. And so I think that's one of the macro level trends that we are seeing is, hey, you know, I was making a, a great salary at Google. Well, I can actually make that exact same salary for a Series A company. And I have this insane upside in equity. And oh, by the way, I'm going to learn, expand my network, do all of these other things. Now is a great time to do that. So that's one macro level trend that we're seeing. Another macro level trend that we're seeing with all of these well-funded companies is there is too much demand from companies than there is great people that are the supply. And so what are companies going to do? That is, I think, the question that nobody has really answered. What I think they are going to do is I think they are going to adopt contractors and consultants in a way that we have never seen before. And I think on the employee side, as you get a very specific skill set that is valuable to the company network, I think that those employees are going to be working simultaneously with multiple companies at the same time in consultant or contractor agreements. 
that that appears to me to be the biggest thing. We had Uber and Lyft kind of start this trend with the gig economy. I now think in tech, you are going to see a, a different trend exist, which is, okay, great. Like I'm great at recruiting. I no longer want to just work for one employer. I want to have flexibility and control my hours. And so I'll just charge an hourly rate and I'll make myself available to multiple companies at the same time, which will give that employee likely more compensation, definitely more freedom and more optionality. And I think companies have to begin to adopt this now um, because if they don't, they won't build in the right practices and, uh, and the right procedures to operate with these consultants and contractors and to leverage them uh, in an appropriate way. So I actually think consultants and contractors are going to be the wave of the next 10 years. Interesting. And, and I think this flex economy, right? You've got the gig economy and then now we have this flex economy of individuals who are trying to identify um, the right path and realize that their best bet is to work for themselves and, and have these various clients that they can come in and come out as they need to. Obviously, this is what your company is helping enable. And I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I'm curious what your perspective is as we wrap up here on actually developing talent from within. So where do you see that fit into, um, you know, there is a surplus of demand, but, you know, in the past we've developed this talent internally and, and that's what, you know, so how, yep. how do we bridge that gap? Yeah. I mean, L and D was always one of the biggest topics at Google, DoorDash and Carta. Um, candidly, I think, Google probably, I mean, Google is one of the leaders in L&D in the world. You know, they have dozens, maybe even hundreds of classes that employees can take internally. But what I've seen from, from earlier stage startups is like, there's no way that can scale. And so how do you actually train these employees? Well, I think there's two ways. One is, is that you give them hard problems to solve and then you get out of their way and you create an environment of psychological safety that allows them to ask for help without being scared. Um, I think that's the number one way. The number two way is by leveraging people outside of the company, whether this be coaches through a company like Marlowe, like what you are building, or through operators, like what we are building at Continuum to serve as that person's personal board of advisors. I fundamentally believe like this is where the future is going because if you cannot recruit the person who has been there, done that to work for you full time, your only other option is to hire the up and comer and to invest in that up and comer. And I think those are the only two ways to do it. This has been absolutely incredible, Nolan. I really appreciate you making the time. As we wrap up, I have my one final question, which is what resources are you leaning on these days, whether that be podcasts, books, websites, where do you go to, to support yourself? Great question. So first is the first round review. They're just like, they put out the best people content out there, like hat tip to Brett. He's built an absolute treasure for everybody to be able to lean on. Second is Twitter. Somebody once asked me, Hey, where do you learn? And I had to think about it. And I was like, actually like Twitter is probably where I do all of my learning. And so I think if you, you follow me and if you go deep into some of the people that I follow, You'll very quickly see like VCs, tech executives, HR leaders, recruiting leaders. And so I like to go, you know, directly to Twitter because I think getting it from the horse's mouth is always the best. So I would point people to those two resources. 
We will absolutely link to your Twitter account in the show notes. Anything else you think our listeners should hear today? There is not other than we are in the middle of the craziest pandemic that we've seen in our lifetimes, that we've seen in our parents' lifetimes, grandparents' lifetimes. And I think it is drastically changing what the future of work will look like. And I do feel like the people that commit to this new future the fastest are going to be the people that succeed. Great words to end on. Thank you, Nolan, so much for making time to chat with me today. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 